This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 472 for September 2nd, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Harry's and Red Hat. Well, summer's over, and welcome back. Well, maybe it's not over yet. It's cold, uh, you know, 60-something degrees, dreary, a little rainy in Seattle, and that's where you'll find me, a senior contributor to Macworld, Glenn Fleischman. I live in Seattle, and despite fires raging in the east of our fair, fair state and rain finally pouring in the west, uh, we're getting ready to uh, head towards the fall season, which in the computer land means that we're going to have more announcements even than we had in the summer, which was a busy, busy summer. And joining me to talk about the news that's broken and how we're going to break more of it into tiny pieces is Macworld's executive editor, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hello, Glenn. Wake me up when September ends. Let's break that news. Let's break, break it. it all. Break it. Oh, my God. This has been a busy summer. We keep talking about how, like, we keep thinking it's going to be doldrums, and then it's like, hey, a new product, a thing, Google, this, that, and, you know, cars, and and uh, now we're going to have to really gear up. We're yeah. recording this September 1st. It's the first day of September. The weather's going to shift all over the country and around the world, and uh, soon we'll settle into a deep freeze and have only technology to keep us warm. That sounds more dismal than I meant, but technology is great, folks. Yeah, Uh, I think it's just, you know, technology used to be computers and then it was computers and phones and now it's everything. So I don't think there's going to be like slow times of the year anymore because now like technology is everything that exists. So Yeah, and because it's global, you've got companies who are like, well, we don't really celebrate Christmas so much, so we're just going to ship something on December 24th. Yeah, we know that's inconvenient for you, but that's that's not our problem because we're, you know... 12,000 miles away and we have a different market that's uh, more interested in Golden Week or something, and that's when we don't ship stuff. Uh, well, uh, let's get at it because, you know, we've, and we've got a special guest, I should point out, in the middle of the show. We've got an interview with Jonathan Abrams, the CEO of Nuzzle, a uh, news uh, social news aggregation app, which is super cool. We've talked about it before. Uh, talk about uh, how they uh, approach the, the issue of delivering customized news and working across a lot of platforms. But first, let's do some news and uh Follow-up. I think the big news uh, it came right after recorded last, of course, is that Apple set a date for its uh, early fall, I guess it's really late summer still, event, September 9th. September 9th. Date. And they're cute because they got a little Siri thing on it that makes a little, hey, you know, tell me what's going on. Then if you go to Siri on your phone, Siri gives you all kinds of adorable little responses about the Cheeky answers, yeah. I'm not authorized to speak. Oh, and oh, cute Siri. things like that. Yeah, it's very nice. So yeah, it's the same day that they had it last year. It's the Wednesday after Labor Day. So thank you, Apple. First day of school in Seattle having... public school system. It's oh, when we man. start school if our teachers don't strike. That's when we start. So I won't be in San Francisco. I'll be working remotely after seeing my barons off to school. I will be uh, sitting here watching the live feed and providing a color commentary, I'm sure. It's at a new venue. Um, I haven't been to an Apple event at the Bill Graham yet. Um, When I go to the Bill Graham, it's usually to see a rock concert. I've seen Fish there and Beck and the Beastie Boys. And it's a big room. I think they've had uh, boxing things there before. But they also have some kind of conventions 7,000 people, I thought I read, something like this. It's huge. Yeah, it's really big um, for, for concerts. I mean, that's when they, like, pack the floor, and I, you know, I don't know how they'll configure it for this kind of thing. I guess the, the West Coast Computer Fair was there back in the day when they unveiled the Apple II. Oh, that's So funny. it has but, some Apple history. Right, and they do events in San Francisco. History. I mean, some stuff happens in Cupertino, but they go to the uh, Yerba Buena, which is a really lovely space mm-hmm. uh, in downtown San Francisco. Much closer now. to our office. So. Yes, yeah, right. It's walkable. <laughs> this is a little further away. Yeah. But, uh, it sounds like they're inviting a ton of people. If I mean, unless they're configuring it strangely, if they're using and the Yerba Buena is pretty um, small. It's only a few hundred uh, seats in an overflow room. So they must be inviting, I would expect, a lot of uh, international press, as they have in the past, probably people doing video. They may have a bigger setup for letting people record uh, for broadcast and uh, still photos. Um, but it should be a big event. So the, but Yeah, the, the iPhone thing, is you know their biggest product, of course. Yeah. And then the other big rumor is that there'll be a new Apple TV. So it might be kind of a cross-industry thing where they have to invite you know different, different groups of, of press and special guests that they wouldn't invite if it was purely an iPhone event. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the big the big thing that, you know, the funny thing is I don't think we're anticipating anything big with the iPhone this year in the way we were last year. And, you know, when they made big phones, uh, that was a big, sorry, big, 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 <laughs> excuse me. It was so big, I can't stop saying the word. Uh, that was a huge, enormous, ginormous change. Uh, it didn't big in the smallest man. That's <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Homer. Uh, this, uh, the year we're expecting maintenance, uh, just like with the iOS 9 release and El Capitan that should come out, I would guess, 
based on Apple's habits, it's probably two to three weeks, maybe at most after this announcement. Usually they ship the new OSs pretty fast. Sometimes it slips to October, uh, but for a September event, I mean, I think uh, OS X shipped later and the new iOS, uh, yeah. iOS 8 shipped earlier last year. Uh, if I had to guess, a- it would be iOS 9 next like yeah. Wednesday and then phones next Friday. But that's just me guessing. Oh, you I think uh, you think know. the same day shipping of iOS 9 as the event? No, the the following. Oh, the week, I think oh I'm sorry, the week after. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's the pattern. But and then sometimes OS 10 has slipped. Uh, and OS 10 will be a little later. Yeah, I, I would but, guess, but maybe although, not because they're on. They just released beta six of El Capitan yesterday, so they're they're charging ahead with the betas, and maybe they'll get that that release gap a little tighter because it did cause a few problems last year. Um, with you know, you could use some continuity and handoff features between iOS devices, but not so much with your Mac. And then there was the iCloud drive thing where you oh, were upgrading right. to iCloud drive. But maybe don't do it yet if, if, if your Mac isn't caught up. And right. the eight point, they put up the 8.1 release to sort of sync everything up with Yosemite. Yeah. Uh, and then Yosemite was kind of a nightmare, as we remember, because um, it kind of wasn't. But so we're hoping this year, if they could ship them in closer harmony. And um, I've been using El Capitan beta for a while. It seems pretty stable to me. I'm not having any crashes. I had a few weirdnesses. And I think I don't even remember what they are because they seem to have faded away. The only thing I have is a few apps are not yet clearly El Capitan uh, happy, including the mail app. I can't get it to stop crashing. So I may have to like rebuild the, mm. um, you know, use an external operation to rebuild Apple's uh, mail uh, cache or something to make that work. But um, but it's it's stable and has a lot of little nice tweaks, but it's not substantially different. Um, so we'll see new iPhones um, and these will be likely, you know, iPhone uh Plus S. I don't know what the 6S plus 6S. Yeah, so last year was the first year that they had the flagship phone come into sizes. So even though this year is just an S year, um, you know, they could uh, they could maybe have a iPhone 6C that's in a smaller size that kind of wait, looks wait. like the iPod Touch that came out. Like maybe they'll do something kind of funky and have a small, medium, large thing. Or maybe they'll just, you know, upgrade the two, the Six and the six plus to the success and the success plus. Um, I know the names start to get ridiculous. Some yeah, people the want names four are inch, getting a little awkward. There were some rumors of a four inch phone. Some people want a four inch phone back, but I just read a f- couple fairly credible things that said there's no four inch phone coming. Apple okay, that ship sailed. Fine. I don't know. I mean that ship sailed, but I think there's a demand for it. I know a lot of people who every want time an iPhone. we write about it, we get a lot of comments and a lot of enthusiasm. Being I like, know, yes, I still have my iPhone five S, and I don't want to get rid of it because I'll never be able to go. You know, go sm- like once you go to a big phone, it's kind of hard to go backwards too so i know it looks so tiny my wife yeah. has one and it's it's like using it feel like they have to use tweezers with it <laughs> um, hey i just figured out that the apple car will be called the s car because then people can say look at that s car go <laughs> ah, oh, terrible sorry but just you know <laughs> look at that s phone go so um good. sorry it's terrible but uh yeah the <laughs> iphone back to the iphone but we yeah so we don't think there'll be we don't know of any flagship features nothing i mean the the thing force you know, touch the, is the thing that i keep hearing about which would be really cool because it would be it hasn't proven useful to me at all on the macbook no one's implemented it in a way that i know anything about or i use in any way so um, it's a neat feature. It works really well, and I don't have any idea what to do with it. So I think we need to see, you know. But maybe that on a touchpad, it's worse. I'd love to have Force Force feedback on a on a phone because it could provide that haptic sense for games and for other kinds of actions mm-hmm. and for a, a deeper touch for certain things where you, you know, if I want to select a whole word, if I could double tap or I could double tap hold push and get you know the entire paragraph. Like there's lots of selection and manipulation stuff that would make sense. Uh, also, rumor uh, that from you know credible sources say a much higher resolution camera. I think a 12 megapixel camera potentially uh, with, uh, was it two, it's got two lenses arrayed in such a way that, um, I can't remember the full detail, it's going to be able to provide a zoom, better zoom, but um, uh, like a, not a crisper image. I've forgotten the detail. It's, uh, uh, this is what happens when you're trying to track too many rumors. Um, But uh, that could be a difference because some people do upgrade for the camera, even if they don't upgrade for, um, other features. And I mean, so in a, in a year where there's the size, people got a six or a six plus, or they're waiting to this year because they're in a two year cycle or a multi, you know, an 18 month um, upgrade thing with uh, like AT&T Next and the new Verizon programs, T-Mobile programs, they're waiting till their cycle ends to get a new phone. So uh, those people will come because they've got an older phone, they want a new one. But the uh, folks who have a six or a six plus and like to upgrade, they may do so because camera. 
Yeah, the camera always gets better with every phone, but when in the S years, the camera improvements are the big selling point. Yeah, so yeah, they could they could go higher resolution. Um, low light is always a big deal. Like the cam, the iPhone cameras take such great oh, pictures yeah. outdoors, but then indoors, I mean, and th- th- they're pretty good. And but all the all the good phones are getting better cameras. That and low light is always a thing that they focus on. And then uh, yeah, they I think they're going to make the front camera better too, which is you know becoming more of a thing as selfies yeah, I- are you know, the our main artistic expression. We just talked about this recently, too, is that the MacBook, uh, the 12-inch MacBook, I didn't realize how much I would hate a a bad uh, FaceTime camera on it, front-facing camera. And it really does make a difference. I wind up using video a little more, and I'll preferentially use a phone because it actually looks better than it does on my 12-inch MacBook. And so I can can see, right, both for still images and for video conferencing uh, or video chats, I think it's going to make a difference. Or it should. Um, Yeah, I think it'll be, I think... Cameras will probably be the selling point is the thing. Uh, oh, yeah, 4K video. That's one of the capabilities that uh, 95Mac is reporting with 12 megapixel. It'll be able to do rear-facing uh, 4K high-def resolution. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty huge. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, those will be big files, so I wonder if they'll have to upgrade the storage or you just won't be able to shoot super long. Yeah, I mean, we're still dealing with what? Do they still have a 16 gig phone? Is one of the options for the uh, the six and six plus? Right? Yeah, Which it went to really six, it went from 16. The entry level stayed at 16, and then the mid level jumped from 32 to 64. So if you've always been buying yourself a 32, all of a sudden you're like, yay, I get double the storage without you know having to pay the that very top price. But the people who were buying the entry level kind of got screwed a little bit there. So. Hopefully, yeah, no more, more 16 gigabyte devices. Well, with uh, you know, with iCloud storage, of course, everything just syncs perfectly all the time, yeah. and you don't even keep anything. <laughs> it, it's actually been interesting. Um, this has come up. A little side note on this too is this comes up a lot with Mac nine one one questions. I still get a lot of photos questions, and a lot of iCloud photo library. And the issue of like, uh, we talked about this before, but that like, where does the truth lie? Where is the full resolution version of my of my images? And people are constantly emailing me about, can I set optim- optimized library? on all my devices or which of my devices I've set it on my phone, but I don't know why it's taking up, you know, 20 gigabytes, even though it's optimized, it should only be five. And it's a, it's an issue. And I think it's going to continue to be. So more storage does help if they bump the minimum to 32 or probably 64, one would hope 64 gigabytes with the cost of that these days, then that, that takes some of the pain out of um, these high resolution images and app storage and, and uh, gives you more room to do editing and so forth. Uh, Apple TV is the other thing we've been waiting for for a while. Um, it's been hinted so long. We've been waiting forever. Broadly. It feels like so. And super excited gonna, about this. Yeah. So that's that should be a big deal. I mean, I think it's become pretty clear what it's going to look like, and it's pretty clear we're going to see it uh, here. And it's not going to have the channel bundles as we talked about before, but it's going to have uh, an API. It's going to be running iOS. It's going to have an A8 chip. Uh, dual core. Uh, it's going to let you know third parties because of the a- API will be able to right for it. Um, it may have some gaming components. There's that interesting discussion about a touch remote control that could easily be used to do uh, gaming with it as apps get ported to it. I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out to be true in the first release. We'll probably see some game companies come up who are like, we have the first ports of our iPad games to, and we had to rethink it because it's a TV and it's a different experience than looking <laughs> straight down. And But they'll be taking the games and, and we'll see some classic uh, stuff show up there too, is my guess. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, it's going to be uh, some some different programming. Uh, even though they don't have the channel bundles, I think we'll see. Uh, you know, definitely having that big a space means they're going to bring out some some uh, Hollywood folks and some New York folks to talk about um, content. Yeah, there was a rumor just this morning that they do want to take the Netflix Amazon kind of route and start producing movies and TV shows. Eventually, um, this was a report in Variety citing unnamed industry sources. Um, and they, they, uh, I guess they, according to these sources, they they bid on the Top Gear guys who signed a deal with Amazon. Yeah, for seven million dollars an episode is like the budget. I don't know if that includes all of their salaries and all the production costs, but it's. I mean, Top Gear is one of the most popular programs in the world, despite the uh, the nature of some of the people involved in it, which is can be troublesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting people, maybe not the best plan for a production company, but um, allegedly, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I wonder. I mean, Netflix just had this comment. They lost one of their programming partners after a five-year contract. They decided not to renew it. I think it's uh, Epix is the company. Yes. And uh, which brought them a number of feature films at certain intervals past release. And they said, well, you know, what we're really here for now, and this is kind of an interesting thing. They're like, you know, like we're really bringing, we're trying to push our original programming. Like we have all of this content and they do have a big back stock and then they have new stuff they're making. And I think Netflix is transitioning into a company that's going to be, um, I mean, not like this isn't obvious to people if you watch what they're doing, but it's a company that's basically driving subscriptions through unique original programming you can't get anywhere else, like an HBO mm-hmm. kind of thing, but also with a huge on-demand uh, uh, library that's not exhaustive the way they used to try to be, but it's big enough that that plus the original programming and the low cost, it's not that expensive. So you might have Netflix plus Hulu plus or Netflix plus something else. And that might suffice you instead of paying $80 a month for cable or 150 or whatever you pay, you may wind up with a 40 or $50 bundle of, you know, HBO go now, go now, uh, HBO go and, uh, no, wait now go. HBO Go is if you have a login for ah. a cable provider, and HBO Now HBO is Now. if you're buying it a la carte. So maybe you do Netflix and HBO Now and one other thing, and it's 50 bucks a month, or maybe 60 but still substantially less than uh, cable, even though you don't have the channel selection. Or maybe you get a channel bundle plus you know, uh, Netflix, and then you get current stuff that comes over some kind of broadcasting mediums, and you get that. So it, Apple could be trying to wade into that. They've got a lot of money. They could do something like this, right? Yes, absolutely. They have tons of money and it's been working for Netflix. Yeah, like you said, they're sort of pivoting into more of an HBO thing. Like HBO used to be the the channel that had movies and they didn't make any of the movies. And now HBO now, I mean, has a lot of movies, but those are sort of a value add and you're not buying it for that. Like you're getting it for the HBO content for, you know, the exclusive stuff. So I have a few of these things. And so when, yeah, when all the Epics movies left Netflix and went to Hulu, it's no big deal for me because I have them in Hulu. And they're also, it seems like they're taking kind of more of a, I see a lot of these services taking more of a a recommendation approach, kind of like the streaming services. Where So one of the rumors on the Apple TV is that it'll have like the Fire TV, there'll be like a voice search and a unified search thing where you can hopefully search multiple channels at once. And if you're looking for Batman, it'll tell you which Batman movies are in which services and how you can watch them. And then you'll select from there and go. But um, And the Fire TV does that very well. But it seems like the uh, some of these services would rather you really not search, and maybe they don't care if searching is remains a pain in the butt because what they want to do is just recommend you stuff and just have you keep watching you know things over and over again because it's it's tailored to you and it's it just knows who you are and um, Amazon like preloads some stuff that it thinks you might want to watch so that stuff loads up right away and. And they know if you search, you're going to come up with things that you maybe think you want to watch that aren't there. But if they just keep recommending you stuff that you like, then you'll kind of always be delighted and willing to keep paying forever because you won't be like, oh, it doesn't have all these things I want. Because Well, I keep forgetting too, like Apple TV, if it's all integrated and I can do this integrated search across everything offered on an Apple TV and maybe even through other parties, then you know I could be doing HBO Now, which is a flagship, you know, was a flagship launch Apple TV service and Apple's original programming and, you know, whatever else. They're not going to allow Amazon in there still, from what we can tell. I wish they would, uh, but, they, but they're not so far. Um, but it, well, let's, let's actually, let's uh, I mean, we close I mean, up Amazon's the, really okay. deep in iOS. So if the know, new Apple TV like works with iOS really, really well, it might not even really matter if it has an Amazon well, still need a separate device. I, st- I just want to be able to do from yeah. one thing. Um, but so that, so September 9th, we'll be covering it, uh, tune in at macworld.com for the live reports. 10 a.m. Pacific is 10 a.m. Pacific. Yes. On September 9th. And, uh, so find us there. And, um, uh, let me take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk about a few other things and then have our uh, talk to Jonathan Abrams of Nuzzle. Uh, so I'd like to thank uh, Harry's, one of our sponsors this week, uh, because uh, Harry's has an interesting value proposition, as they like to say. Uh, not them. I'm sure they don't use those terms. But what they're about is that shaving became expensive. Um, shaving at one point was cheap, but as blades have gotten more sophisticated and as stores have wanted to make bigger margins, you go into a, a store to get 
razor blades and it's this whole hassle. You got to get someone to open up. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not buying gold. I'm buying razor blades. <laughs> you got to get someone. They got to go open a case. You have to know exactly what you want. And then you wind up paying a lot of money, really, if you're getting a high quality razor. If you get the cheap kind, your face gets all cut up. I have a very sensitive face. So I'm very well aware of this. But you could instead cut out a couple middlemen in that whole transaction and go with Harry's because Harry's not only will they ship blades directly to your doorstep for a very reasonable price and you can get a, a discount, which I'll tell you about in just a second, but they actually make their own blades. They liked a factory that they went to that's been making some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. They liked it so much they bought it. So you're getting it direct from the manufacturer at this point and that benefits you. It reduces costs. They can still make their money and they pass along the savings to you. Uh, so if you want to get a starter kit, it's just $15 for a razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. Uh, some people have strong opinions about whether they want to and get it to cover their face or they want to just kind of spritz it out and, and wipe it on. It's, it depends on how your face works and how much you like foam. But uh, here's the bonus. You can get $5 <laughs> off that first purchase if you use the code MACWORLD. So you'll get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10. Harry's was started by two guys who were passionate about creating a better shaving experience, and, and, and this is what they've done. It's uh, less expensive, uh, better quality, and it comes right to your door. No talking to clerks to get them to unlock things. Shipping is free, and it comes right to you. If you go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, enter Macworld with your first purchase to get $5 off. And thank you to Harry's for sponsoring the show this week. Uh, one more thing about Amazon, I realized as we were finishing this up, uh, the, uh, so September 9th, we know stuff's coming. Amazon just announced that they have offline video for iOS and Android. Amazing. So it's streaming and you know, you don't get to keep it indefinitely because it's a subscription based thing. They're not giving you free permanent digital downloads, but Susie, you fly, right? <laughs> not a lot, but yeah, yeah. I do. And you, get a, I, you get in a car. Yeah. And I do all streaming. So when I go somewhere, yeah, I just sort of assume I'm always going to have internet. So when I fly, I have to remember that you don't have internet up there. So um, that's huge. We'll be able to save a lot of kids shows. Amazon's got great kids shows because when I fly, the now I fly with a three-year-old. So you got to have lots oh of gosh. entertainment. <laughs> well, yeah, being able to just, I like the idea of being able to cue that up. And because, you know, the, we, we've talked to, on the show before, there's a lot of uh, buzz recently about GoGo uh, in-flight internet, which is, um, it, it's a domestic American internet provider that some people may have seen. And now there's competition. There's a bunch of satellite companies, United switching to a satellite company. There's some overseas ones that go, I'm sorry, literally over the sea. Um, and GoGo, because they have uh, relatively limited bandwidth, uh, between three and 10 megabits per second per plane, at most over America and uh, now parts of Canada, uh, they don't allow streaming. They don't allow video conferencing. It they wouldn't work anyway. Well, here's the thing. The satellite services that are backed by Viasat, some other satellites, they can let you do streaming. And apparently it works really well. Oh, wow. Even with a plane full of people. They have just enough bandwidth. And, they, you know, it gets cranked down. So you're not going to be getting HD. Um, I interviewed the head of uh, one of the, the, the bar, uh, business people, sorry, at uh, Viasat a few months ago. And, um, you know, they don't have infinite bandwidth. They're just they're up in a satellite. But they do have enough. And even with a lot of flights at the same time and a lot of people on flights, they can, you know, target and make it work. Um, but so Amazon video offline means, okay, I want to catch up on, you know, 10 episodes from a TV show or whatever, however many I can download, load those up and then get on the plane and um, plug into a convenient USB or power plug that's on newer planes and not have to use the service at all. Uh, you know, not need to internet access, not need to use the in-flight service that may cost money, depending on the airline for watching video and just use my own device with offline content. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, a lot of times I'll end up renting a movie for for a flight, and that's the only time I really rent a movie from iTunes. And you got to rent it and download it and everything. And it would just be nice to be able to use the services that I'm already paying monthly for to to fill up that time with the sweet embrace of TV and movies. That's so hilarious! The idea of using things you're already paying for in yes, a different medium. Yes, I just want to use the things about? I already pay for, and then um, I don't have to pay for more internet and more movies and yeah. This is we have great. a go-go tip, by the way. This came up. Uh, John Gruber uh, mentioned this uh, because uh, Brian X. Chen, a uh, uh, former uh, – he's a Macworld reporter, was he? He's at the New York Times now, uh, but he's a, a longtime tech reporter. He wrote a thing about um, sort of a consumer advocacy thing they're starting there. And it was, hey, you know, someone's flying and they're being charged uh, – you can be charged anywhere from $24 to 
fifty dollars so for a single segment if you buy your GoGo pass in flight. But the deal is, Gruber pointed this out, and I've known this. I keep forgetting this is a tip. If you go to GoGo uh, website and you purchase a pass which will expire within a year, so you have a full year to use it, sixteen bucks, and it's a twenty-four hour pass, pass covers yeah, yeah multiple tw- yeah. So it's multiple segments. So if you're flying two flights in that day, you know, just a direct, not a nonstop, um, it's a good deal, and you can keep it in there. So uh, Matthew Panzerino, he uh, he po- posted a tweet that I thought was great. He said, "Oh, what I do is while I'm sitting on the tarmac, I buy one. I always have one in my account, but just in case I forget, I sit on the tarmac, I buy it on the ground through ground service before you get in the air when they charge you." more. I was like, this is brilliant. So if you've forgotten before you get in the flight, before you power everything down, just buy a pass for 16 bucks. And people complain about the throughput, which is definitely an issue, but there's a way to uh, at least not you know, need suddenly like, God, I got to get two hours of work done. $50 to do demand-based pricing to try to reduce demand, but people will pay it if they're, uh, if they're in need and that causes more congestion. So we've just saved you money. Listening to the Macworld podcast saves you money. That's our thing. Uh, a couple more news bits here, I think. Um, just quickly, uh, the Google OnHub reviews uh, came out. Those were embargoed until uh, last Sunday night at midnight. And so Monday morning, people woke up and heard about this new Wi-Fi router, and uh, our own Mike Brown wrote a, an exhaustive review. Boy, does he work hard, that fella. Um, he's great. And he's a you know, veteran Wi-Fi reviewer, so he has a whole setup, and he's in the middle of reviewing Wi-Fi routers, so he was able to put the OnHub, uh, put it, head-to-head against other routers he was testing. He found some pretty inconsistent performance. It likes to switch channels because it's trying to find a better non-congested channel. Sometimes it worked really well. Sometimes he found worse throughput. And um, he says, I think his conclusion is for a user who doesn't want to fiddle with it, it's not a bad deal compared to other routers of its price. Uh, it was not a strong recommendation. I think when you read the details, if you're a user who wants to, who's a, well, he's calling like a more sophisticated power user, if you have home run uh, wiring in your house, so you've already got everything you know in place, uh, it may just not suit you. So uh, read, uh, go to macworld.com, read Mike Brown's review. Um, you can read some reviews that uh, uh, the wire cutter did uh, similarly exhaustive testing because they're in the middle of a big testing round. And um, some reviewers were very positive, but they didn't do exhaustive testing about coverage. They did a little bit of that and they looked more at the features. But I thought the key thing is it shipped and the only thing that works is Wi-Fi. The USB port is only available for uh, an emergency hardware restore. The uh, uh, home smart home features are not enabled, none of them. Uh, Bluetooth is not enabled. <laughs> Uh, okay. So what does it do? It's a Wi-Fi router and it's 200 bucks and, um, Apple users probably still advised if you're going to buy one in the near future, airport extreme is, um, probably a better deal for what you need, but I just got a new people. one from the refurb store. Oh yeah. How I much like, did you pay? I like for it very that? much. Uh, I think it was, 150? oh man, you put me on the spot again. Oh, I'm sorry. Cause I think it's They're Amazon 180 selling... new and I yeah. think I got it for like 140, something like that. It was, it was Which a decent great. chunk off. You can pay less if you want. The Archer C7 from TP-Link is, uh, I think, like 90 bucks now, $94 at Amazon. People really like it. It has no Apple features, although it's compatible with some with a lot of Apple stuff. And for Wi-Fi, for plain internet access, it's fine. Those guest network. People really like the coverage. I just don't think the interface is one of those web-administrated interfaces where you're like have a billion settings and, you know, if you don't know what they mean, it's frustrating. So Yeah, um, I'm bad at – I don't know much about networking, so the reason I always have Apple routers is because I can use airport assistant and it'll just, you know, take care of it for me. So when, yeah, I I saw some of the early reviews for the OnHub and they were saying, okay, so if you don't want to have to tell it anything, it's it's okay if you're just, you know, a a dumb person who doesn't know. (laughs) You're not a dumb person. I was like, yeah. Yes, that's me. It's, that's what I want. So I just like great. how the I, I like airport utility. I just like being able to use that and know that like you know those settings and the port forwarding and stuff is in there if I ever need it. But usually I don't, and I don't have to look at it if I don't need it. Yeah, I think that's what the the most positive, consistent thing said about the OnHub was: you use an app. The app's pretty good. Um, and because it's Android and iOS, you don't have to be a Mac, or an iOS user or a Mac user, which is the only way you can configure Apple's equipment now. It has an outdated Windows client that's no longer supported. Oh, so, okay. right. So if you're if you're not uh, a Mac user or an iOS user, you can't configure Apple gear. 
even though non-Apple stuff worked just fine with it as a Wi-Fi thing, and you don't get the benefit from extra features. So I wouldn't be surprised if Apple, they need to revise the airport base stations, but I don't think they'll, they sometimes, when they do it, they slip it out quietly with a press release in the middle of another announcement. So it's possible they're, they're behind now. So um, they haven't had a new model in a while. They might slip something out uh, September 9th, but I figure it's more likely to come with like a home kit bundled announcement rather than um, with this one, because they've already got enough going on. Yeah. Uh, so last bit of news is um, just a reminder, if you jailbreak your devices, you could have problems. <laughs> <laughs> it came out that uh, that a, a research firm said uh, at least uh, 225,000 Apple IDs were stolen by malware that targets jailbroken devices. And here's the, this is the tricky part. So not all jailbreaks are dangerous. And now I have talked to people, I actually try to get some people on the record who, who want to talk about this. None of them would really respond, unfortunately, which is sad. Here's the thing. Jailbreaking, if you can do it, it means there's a flaw in iOS at that point, right? So shouldn't you patch that flaw? So the people who are pro-jailbreaking say, jailbreaking is actually an attempt to make your system more secure. The people who are opposed to it, and this includes me, say, yes, but if you have broken your phone, a lot of, even though you patch that flaw, you're lessening a number of security uh, uh, provisions that Apple puts in place that make it more vulnerable. And some people, again, will argue about that. Look, no, once you've patched that, you actually can put this back in place, so forth. So there's opinions, but because there's a lot of jailbreak exploits floating around out there, you can wind up using one. I mean, there's no Yelp for jailbreak exploits, right? Uh, so you wind up using one that is, in fact, can be infected with malware. So yes, it jailbreaks your phone. You think it's cool and it's installed all kinds of crud. So at some point, you know, if we had a cyanogen mod of iOS jailbreaks, then you could go to a certified group and get a jailbreak that you knew was backed and they were testing or whatever. And we don't really have that because it's, I believe, a violation of the DMCA right now in America still. can't remember if you can, you can't, you can jailbreak your phone, I believe, still. I think that's still the case, but you can't sell or distribute software to do it. Mm. So it'd be very tricky positionally for a company or organization, at least based in America, to try to provide a certified program for it. So, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of money in that. <clears throat> I would be no, surprised well, if there was much money in that. Yeah, the people who want it want to run, they want to, they don't, not trying to pirate anything. They just want access to more features or they want to have more control or they want to turn on things. In fact, um, you know, another related thing is T-Mobile CEO just said, hey, we're going to knock off people who are pirating, um, you know, who are abusers of our network because, you know, they have unlimited LTE uh, and they don't throttle it. But they said some of the worst users, he said, I think it was one hundredth of one percent of their users are what they think are abusive. They were and are seeing people use like two, three terabytes of data a in a month. month. Right. And so, you know, I have lots of opinions about caps and filters. I'm like, well, you know, when you agree to reasonable usage and you agree to the terms, you're not going to use tethering for more than seven gigabytes a month even with the unlimited plan, and you use two terabytes, I'm sorry, like that's, you know, that's, that's a not little cool. excessive, yeah. yeah. So they're going to be investigating and cutting those off, although it sounds like it's in the hundreds of people, not like, you know, uh, throttling a, a million grandfathered users as some other networks might do. But I just got the text message that they were going to throttle, throttle me. Who's at AT&T? Yeah. They yeah, say you, I've used three giga, 3.75 gigabytes this month, and I just don't see how that's liars. possible at all. Why do they make this a house of lies? Yes. And it's, I mean, uh, my Comcast has gone down a couple of times. I can't tether my Mac to my phone because I still have the unlimited plan from way back. So, oh, so really, they that? shouldn't throttle me because they've been like scolded by the feds for that. But they're, you know... They're AT&T and they can do whatever they want. So Ultimately, it's going to change because the current limits are based on old network congestion and techniques. And with LTE, they have a lot more bandwidth. They have a lot more availability. They have smaller cells. It's, they're invested in it. It's, it's right now they're trying to extract margin. At some point, you know, we're watching them ratchet it up, right? Like I have a 15-gig plan for no extra cost with extra features as of last week um, compared to the week before with AT&T because my 10-gig plan, it's like, oh, we have a quote-unquote promotion. Well, how much is it, you know, when does it end? It never ends. Just opt in. I'm like, okay. You just gave me, I have rollover data for a month. I have 50% more data. Like you're telling me that your data is worth less and less. And so that just means I'm going to push more and more. And I use, my wife and I use like a few gigabytes a month at most, usually when we're traveling. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to get to our interview with Jonathan and let me, uh, let's take one quick break and talk about our second sponsor this week. And then we'll talk to Jonathan Abrams. Uh, 
I want to thank Red Hat for being one of our sponsors this week because, you know, Red Hat is one of those things that's part of the ticking heartbeat of the internet. Now, the internet is a bunch of computers all running different systems and they all agree on protocols and they all work together. And it's this big, happy, universal family. There's no center. It's an anarchy. But you know what? There is something ticking there in the middle and that's Red Hat. Red Hat is not the fundamental piece of the internet, but it winds up running a surprising amount of the top end servers of the kinds of things we connect to in the largest numbers. They run, you know, they're behind the New York Stock Exchange, DreamWorks, each and every airline, healthcare company, and telecom giant, and the Fortune Global 500. Those companies rely on Red Hat, as do more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500. Red Hat takes open source software, which is readily available, but what they do is they certify it, and then they support application development. They uh, allow you to integrate storage and de deploy cloud infrastructure for any conceivable enterprise setup. And uh, that's because they get the benefit of the innovation of open source, the constant improvement. They're not alone in it, but they help you deploy with safety and security using certified processes. And you can find out more about what they can do for you at your data center by going to redhat.com and finding out more. And thank you to Red Hat for being one of our sponsors this week. Joining me is Jonathan Abrams, the CEO of Nuzzle, a company that makes a, a product that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, on Twitter, to people I stop in the street, to my parents. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan, welcome to the Macworld Podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. And I, I uh, wish I could hear all the things that you had said about Nuzzle before. I just, um, I, I sound like a shill, I'll be quite honest, because I think Nuzzle fits a hole for me that no other app has in years. And it's partly to do with the kind of death of RSS, although what you're making isn't an RSS analog, it's a different thing. Can you give me, what's the elevator speech for what Nuzzle's purpose is? Well, I think a lot of people don't know what RSS is. You and I know what RSS yeah. is, but, you know, how many people read news online? It's you know got to be in the billions, at least a billion. And I, I'd guess probably 99% of those people don't even know what RSS is. Uh, so I myself, uh, once upon a time, uh, used to use, I think it was My Yahoo. And I had you know, TechCrunch in there and a, a few blogs that I don't even think exist anymore. Um, and I eventually started getting a little fatigued of RSS because... If you put in 10 or 20 sites and they publish 10 or 20 things, you'd have you know, several hundred things each morning, most of which uh, I might not be interested in. It was certainly, you know, it wasn't personalized to me. You could certainly choose the RSS feeds that you were subscribing to, but still that could end up meaning every morning there's several hundred things to look at. Um, not really ranked, not really personalized for me. And then if I didn't look that morning, the next morning, now there'd be 400, <laughs> you know, waiting for me. So I was getting fatigued by that. I started finding that I was getting more of my, finding more links from uh, mainly Twitter, a little bit Facebook. Um, so I think like a lot of people, I started discovering more news that way a few years back. But I didn't have time to click on every single link anybody I knew was sharing. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss the most important stuff, but I certainly didn't have time to look at everything. So I thought, boy, you know, we need a tool that, that sort of mines all this social signal and just produces a very simple result, just shows me the top news stories that my friends are sharing. And in doing so, it's essentially creating a personalized news product for me with, uh, without me having to do any work. Um, something that, unlike RSS, uh, isn't really overwhelming. Um, it's really more personalized to me, and the stuff that's the most important stuff is actually at the top. So if I have time to read five stories or three or ten or however much, I can do so easily. And I thought, this is such an obvious idea. Surely somebody else is going to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think RSS uh, required intentionality, required knowledge. You had to know what it is. This is one of the things that was holding back podcasting, too, is explain to someone, here's what a podcast is. Okay, I get that. Now, how do I get it? What do I install? How do I listen to it? What's my – and so RSS would always be, hey, you know those sites, you have 100 open tabs. You know you could just subscribe to those and people are like, all right, what do I do? And then Google Reader – Helped, And I think a lot of people who use Google Reader had no idea what RSS was, even though it was effectively an RSS reader. I think it hid 
that more technical or creaky aspect. Uh, when it went away, I felt there was kind of a missing piece because people couldn't casually find stuff again without opening tabs. But RSS requires you to do something. I go to a site, I click an RSS link, it has to do so, or I have to copy it. And Nuzzle, I should spell it for listeners to N-U-Z-Z-E-L. Nuzzle is uh, a discovery tool, right? It bubbles things up from people you know that are talking about things, which RSS never did. RSS was about everything I thought I might be interested in and all in one big blob. And yeah, and then it's a burden to go through. But Nuzzle is pushing stuff to me that meets my parameters of people I know and then filters I can put on top of it. I think what we're trying to do is something a lot simpler than RSS. Even the people who are using Google Reader, I think we're probably still... Um, probably a little bit more sophisticated than just a, a regular average person who reads news online. And so what we've tried to do is, is not really create the sort of replacement for Google Reader. That's really not what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to, to do something that, um, that's a little simpler. Because uh, the idea of Nuzzle is that you don't have to do any work. And yet you don't feel overloaded because we sort of say, look, here's the most important stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people who used Google Reader um, probably had a lot of feeds that they had set up, and you know, and were perhaps you know real information junkies. And there are certainly a lot of journalists who do use Nuzzle, but what we're trying to do with Nuzzle is is not necessarily be a tool that only information junkies are using to to go through hundreds and hundreds of things every day. Um, we're more uh, trying to help people just sort of cope with all the overload today and say, look, here's just the stuff you really need to know about today. You know, this was something that came up in uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we had uh, Tom Standage of The Economist and Jason Snell, who uh, was formerly editor of Macworld and uh, is now a freelance uh, writer, podcaster, and uh, bon vivant. And we talked about the news app that's coming in iOS 9. And I think uh, we, we had this discussion about finishability and completionism or, or completism, where there's sort of uh, some people feel like anything they get, they have to get to the end of, and there's no bottom to RSS. Uh, the Economist's Espresso app, which is their daily brief news app, that has a five stories and like one summary of the stock market. And then it says, when you reach the end of it, it says you're done. Mm -hmm. And there's a power in that. And I feel like you design Nuzzle as you describe it around the notion that there's a there's a bottom to news. And everything you're saying is, it's not this 400 items in my RSS feed, now there's 600, now there's 800. It's not only do I not have to collect the stuff and curate it myself and pick it all out, I don't have to then go through and scan it in the same way. that You're giving me a set of things that you think, based on my social interconnections, is going to be a finishable set of news that I might either scan or read, but it's a small set as opposed to the bottomless pit of the web. Well, I think what we're doing is sort of a happy medium in between those two extremes. So on one side, you would have things that are overwhelming, um, you know, just trying to read everything that everybody you know is sharing on Facebook or Twitter or, uh, you know, an RSS reader full of hundreds of hundreds of sites. Um, we're trying to be more of a, of a less is more of helping people cope with the overload. But on the other hand, something that's sort of, uh, sort of defining what, what, what the limit is for everybody and saying, okay, here's five things or 10 things. And after that you're done. I think that's, that may be, you know, we, we've really strived for simplicity with Muzzle, but that may be an overly simplistic mm -hmm. model because some people might want to read five things and some people 10 and some people 20. It's a, it may be different for different people. And it also might be different on different days. I mean, there might be days where you're super busy and you only have time to read one thing, and Nuzzle will tell you what that one thing is, whether it's via our, our app, our email, or our push notifications. And then there'll be other days where you have more time, and on those days you're interested in reading more. So because Nuzzle has a, a, a system really ultimately revolving sort of around a concept of ranking, saying most of your friends shared this. So that's what you see at the top of the app. That's what you see in your email. That's what we're going to send you via push. Uh, you can sort of... Choose how much you want to consume, but whether it's one thing, five things, ten things, twenty things, you can still get how much you want because we've sort of sorted it for you in, in, in sort of um, this proxy for importance and relevance. But if you want, you can 
go through pages and pages of your Nuzzle uh, feed. You can look at your second degree feed where we'll show you things shared by friends of friends. You could look at other people's feeds via Nuzzle. So we're not, we're not as simple as saying, okay, like every day Nuzzle really only has <laughs> 10 things to offer to sort of enforce this sense of completion. Uh, but I think what happens, and I think this, we've heard this from a few people, is that uh, depending on the nature of the person's feed of who they're following, uh, different people may have sort of a number, um, sort of like the sleep number, mattress number. Yes. Like, 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 so for example, for me, you know, that number might be, um, I want to read anything on my Nuzzle feed that was shared by more than three people. And under that, it sort of falls into the noise. And for, you know, for different people, depending on if you follow more people, less people, what kind of people they are, your number might be higher or, or lower, but you can sort of get into a pattern where you might feel the sense of completion when you've read everything on Nuzzle that's above a certain sort of score. Uh, but different people, you know, use it in different ways. But I think we're somewhere in between those two extremes. It's, it's not just saying, okay, there's only five things today and that's it. You can't have more. But because there's a ranking concept, you still can sort of, if you, ha if you have time to read the top X things, you can do that easily via Nuzzle. And this is a good uh, segue into the ecosystem because I use that. Uh, you've got so many different ways that people can choose to be notified. And this is part of what I think um, part of our segue is into the, you know, how this affects the watch because the watch OS2 is coming, but you've got a website and a you know, web app based approach. You've got uh, email that people can get based on, on filters. Uh, I can get a smartphone app. I've got it on my iPhone. You've got a watch app. I can get notifications on my iPhone. And this is a whole really, you know, in, I should say in many cases, when you hear that many options, people think, oh, I'm overwhelmed. This is too much. But I feel like the filters help. So when I go to the web app, if I'm on a desktop, I have one set of filters I use by default there. On my phone, I have a different set. The, the push, push notifications, I only allow push if seven or more people in my circle have linked to the same story. It comes up. You are the only thing I allow besides... Uh, I think text messages and maybe one other thing to buzz my phone. I let Slack buzz my phone. I let Nuzzle and text messages and nothing else because you limit the number of daily notifications. And with the threshold of seven, almost everything that comes up is something that I do want to read. I almost never think, oh, why am I seeing that? It's like, oh, no, this is the milieu I'm in. So let's talk about that ecosystem and management for a second because I think that's the uh, – that's a, a real challenge, I would think, that you're developing across. I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a core, obviously, but you're developing uh, with this core set of information and filters and a constantly updated, uh, you know, scouring of accounts, uh, material that has to be shipped out into many different forms. Do you have an overriding uh, design or engineering philosophy that lets you apply this across different platforms and um, notification approaches, or do you have to come at each one with a very specific, um, different kind of approach? Boy, okay, that's a few questions. So, <laughs> so first of all, you're not the first person who said that Nuzzle is one of the few things that they allow to send them push alerts on the phone. Uh, and I think that's because what we're doing is pretty unique. Our push alerts, uh, like our you know, really entire experience, are personalized. So for each new user, we choose an intelligent threshold uh, which you can change, but we'll choose an intelligent default for you. And then we'll only alert you when more than X number of friends have shared a story. So most apps, uh, most news apps want to send you push alerts if you'll allow it. And, uh, you know, so you and I are sitting there and our phones buzz because, uh, you know, Obama said something and, and it, it's interesting to you, but not to me or vice versa. Um, but they're sending sort of the same alerts to everybody, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, so what Nuzzle, you know, is doing is, uh, you know, you may get an alert because some big news in the Apple ecosystem. I might get an alert because my friend's company just got bought. We're not getting necessarily the same alerts. Uh, but you don't have to go in and enter, you know, all the topics that interest you, which is just way too much work. So we've created a way to get personalized news alerts that's very unique and innovative. Uh, and I think a lot of people really enjoy that. Regarding all the different things, sort of all the platforms we support, yeah. Um, it's not overwhelming to the users because most people don't use it all. They really, you know, they use our website uh, or our email or our push notifications or our iPhone app or our iPad app or our Android app. But 
uh, no user uses all of those things. I'll raise and, my hand. I'm the only one, but <laughs> I'm a well, voracious news consumer. Use, use and our you're Android app. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I don't we use the Android. That Android. Um, so uh, nobody uses it all. Hmm. And in fact, a lot of users, um, they fall into this, um, this funny pattern where they sort of imagine that everybody uses Nuzzle the way they do, which is not true, and they forget about the other things. So there are people who are like, oh, you guys have a website? Because they have our iPhone app installed on oh, their home great. screen and they use it every day and they say they're completely oblivious to the fact, you know, there's other people who get our email and they sort of think of Nuzzle as an email because, it, you know, we send an email every morning that they pay attention to and they completely forget that we have a website and an iPhone app and an iPad app and all these other things. So, um, you know, there are different people who, you know, there are people who use Nuzzle, they open the app every morning, there are people who get the email every day, there are people who get the push notifications, there are people who use it on their iPad, people who use it in the desktop browser, but, and some people use it on a couple of those, but, um, you know, I think few people use all of those. We just feel that we need to support all platforms, uh, you know, in 2015, that's just sort of the way it has to be these days. And, it's a lot of work for a six-person startup. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, this is kind of the great power of the net, is you've got Apple developing news app, which is, you know, I'm sure there's 100 or 200 people on a team for ISO, uh, iOS 9, uh, and it's a, you know, it's got some similar goals about personalized news, a very different, very different intent and nature, uh, but the fact that six people can build something like this, and then, in you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the watch adds another platform, even though it's related, I realize you're using the same code base, but it's all, you know, Objective-C or whatever, but, um, or Swift, whatever you're writing in now. Uh, but, uh, the fact that you can deal with that overhead and you can produce in all these different platforms, you know, before we finish, I did want to ask watch OS two, does that bring in a different challenge for you now that you can do freestanding apps? Will it change the nature of what people will get on an Apple watch compared to, uh, with the initial release? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure. So our iOS lead uh, is an Apple Watch user, and he obviously coded our, our um, watch app. And as you pointed out, right now it requires you to have it on your phone. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because a lot of times you may not really want to do that much on the watch in terms of like reading long articles or you know browsing your feed. So it kind of makes sense as a as sort of an augment. Um, in terms of the, the changes coming to the, uh, the watch, uh, OS, um, I'll, some of that I think is a little bit, um, beyond my, uh, you know, my, uh, familiarity with, with, uh, with that platform. Uh, we definitely, you know, have been early adopters of the watch and supported it. Um, to some extent it was because, um, it wasn't, like you said, a completely new code base. And of course, unsurprisingly, our iOS lead uh, you know, eats up all, you know, everything that Apple offers. Uh, you know, if Apple has a, a car coming out and it supports apps, you know, <laughs> like, oh, let's put, put Nuzzle on that, you know, like, uh, you know, as I'm sure most of your listeners understand uh, the sort of the people who just, uh, you know, love to support or, or experiment with any of the new things from Apple. Uh, we have had uh, a bunch of people tweeted us uh, saying that it's one of their favorite watch apps um, well, it's you know. perfectly suited because it's headlines. You know, I don't have to read on the phone. I, I mean, I don't have to read on the watch. It's, it tells me, hey, here's something new. It comes up. I scroll through it, and I'm reading headlines. And I'm like, oh, that's important enough that I'm going to lower my watch hand and raise the app uh, smartphone hand and and read it. And it's uh, not everything fits into that perfect modality. I mean, headlines are great, but you know, am I going to play a game on the phone or on the watch? Rather, am I going to um, read uh, the New Yorker ten thousand word story on it? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, I probably spend too much time on my iPhone already, <laughs> so you know, I'm just not sure whether having another iOS device on my wrist would actually be a good thing. Because you know, when I'm in meetings, I try not to look at my uh, at my iPhone. Um, like a lot of people do. So I think that, I guess the jury's still out on that one. You're uh, you're a good man for uh, trying to not look at your phone. That's the, uh, the ideal try. of the watch. <laughs> I try. But then <laughs> if I'm looking, you know, if I keep looking down at the at an iWatch or iPhone, uh, uh, you know, uh, Apple Watch during a meeting um, and the other person notices that, that may not be so great. I know this is well. This is the coming challenge, and we'll see with full-blown apps on the watch if it uh, if it distracts people more. Well, Jonathan Abrams, CEO of Nuzzle, thank you. That's N U Z Z E L. Thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure.
Well, I hope I didn't fanboy too much about Nuzzle, but it is it is a favorite app. Um, it's pretty cool. Everybody should check it out. I've been enjoying it as well. It doesn't cost anything either. Just the, I think that's free now, right? Actually, it's so funny. I don't actually, isn't that funny? I don't know if the app costs anything. This is how much I use it is I don't even remember. I don't think it does. The app is free. I don't know how they, and I didn't ask business model questions because, you know, when you don't know what the, uh, what the product is, you're the product, but they don't do advertising. I think they're gathering information. They're building a system. I really love it. It's only six people in the company that makes a product with an Android app, a web app, an iOS app, a watch app. Um, I love the future where small companies can do powerful, interesting things. Uh, but speaking of Android, um, last story this week, uh, this is a story you've been following. You're looking at is uh, Android Wear working with iOS. What? Yeah. What's, what's this about, Susie? Crazy I don't understand. Times. So Apple had a has been advertising for Android developers, and we know we already know that they're bringing Apple Music to Android. But we had one of our writers, Mike Simon, write like, "Oh, what are some other Android apps that maybe they should try to? What other you know Apple apps should they try to bring to Android?" And one thing that he said was, what about the Apple Watch app? Like, maybe they should try to make Apple Watch compatible with Android and really open up that market. And everyone said, that's crazy. You're crazy, <laughs> crazy guy. And Why are they being so insulting? I there, don't understand. No, I mean, there was, it was actually some, some interesting discussion. Okay. And so what <laughs> happened instead was that now that Google released an Android Wear app for iOS. Love it. It's crazy. So it was rumored and it dropped yesterday, or I'm sorry, Monday. Um, and I'm working on a hands-on that will be live by the time this podcast is live. Um, it's kind of cool. So I hadn't really had a lot of uh, experience with Android Wear watches before, but the platform is a little bit ahead of of um, Watch OS, of the Apple Watch OS. And there's already some things I like better. <laughs> I've been um, testing the Pebble Time as well, too. So right now, I would say Apple Watch, still the best for, you know, Apple users, for iPhone users. Android Wear, close second. And then Pebble Ooh. Time just got bumped down to, to third because, okay, so Android Wear is really nice. It, it's based a lot on, on Google Now. And I love Google Now. It's I think it's the best part of Android, period. I used an Android phone very briefly um, and also when traveling uh, overseas a couple times. And Google Now is just the bomb. Um, you can get it in the Google app for iOS, but then you have to ah. open up the app and your cards are in there. Um, so on Android, Wait, they so just show this. right up. But, oh, so, but in Google, so you can use Google Now with Android Wear through the app? Yeah, so oh. if you have a Google account, which you know you probably do because you're a person, or ten um, of them. <laughs> yeah, so when you you install the Android Wear app on your iPhone and then you sign into that, you pair it to your Android Wear phone uh, watch. <laughs> so um, I'm using the LG Urbane, I believe it is, and it's going to be compatible with all future Android Wear watches, and even some unsupported ones are you know, people are finding that if you factory reset it. Boom, it's supported, no problem. So, okay, so you download the Android Wear watch or <laughs> app, pair it to your Android Wear watch. You have to give the app on your phone a bunch of permissions to, you know, look at your calendar and and then you sign into your Google account. And then your Google account is just kind of watching you all the time. I mean, this is a big difference between Google and Apple and a lot of people find it's creepy. I think it's kind of cool. I like mm. Google now. So the things you've searched for, if you use Gmail, it can find things in your Gmail. Like if you have a flight confirmation or a hotel confirmation, it'll just find those. And then when you're in the right area or it's the right time, it'll say like, oh, by the way, like your flight is on time. Like maybe you should check in. And Ooh, okay. It just gives you all these proactive notifications. It knows what baseball teams I like. It gives me the scores. Just those kinds of things. Um, so those Google Now notifications, um, they're cards, and you, you swipe them away to dismiss them. It sort of learns over time. Um, those would come oh. to your home screen if you were yeah. using an Android phone, but you're not using an Android phone, but you have an Android Wear watch, so now they're coming right to your wrists. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds a little bit. Oh, I love that too. Well, this is the thing. We've talked about this a lot. Is like, uh, I think the fanboy myth for any platform, you know, whether it's uh, uh, Droid or, or iOS or whatever, is that people 
don't want competition. Our thing's the best. It's just going to get better. Your new thing is terrible. I am such a let's get more competition. Apple does not have enough competition, and I still don't understand why they don't. I don't. I mean, Android is competitive with Apple in terms of market share. We're seeing, you know, just to bring in some market reality. Um, I just was reading uh, Charles Arthur at the Guardian. He wrote this story that was pulled together all of the high-end Android smartphone, uh, the high-end models, not the feature or lower-end smartphone or feature phone stuff that's out there now. And uh, it's cratering. The high-end of, they haven't been able to differentiate enough in the uh, high-end category. Apple's really stealing, as it often does, the high-end of any category. So uh, Android is shipping more phones, or there's more phones shipped with Android on it, whether official or even, you know, the sort of Android forks or other Unix flavors. Uh, but uh, Apple's making the money because they're taking it from the high end. I'm like, why can't these companies compete? And so it's lovely to me here that Apple came into a market that had some more mature products, even if they weren't perfect, and that there are other companies out there that it has to challenge. And the fact that it didn't pull some kind of nonsense and not let the Android Wear app in to the iOS or to the App Store also seems great. So now you have this market where they win either way, right? People are like, well, I'll get an iPhone. I love iPhones. Oh, I'll get an Android Wear thing. Apple doesn't make the profit, but they don't lose the phone sale. That seems like a win to them. And it's a win to the Android community that it doesn't have to be this monolithic in, uh, ecosystem either. I, I like it. Yeah, if you have an iPhone but you're a fan of all the Google services, it's a pretty cool watch. And there's a mm. few software features that I actually like a little better than the Apple Watch right now. So on the Apple Watch, you get notifications from your phone, and you can decide which iPhone apps are allowed to send notifications to your watch. But that's all done in the Apple Watch app on your iPhone. Okay, so on Android Wear, you can curate which iPhone apps show you the notifications right on the watch. Oh, my gosh. So okay. an iPhone app will send you a notification. I got one yesterday from the Oral-B app, which I have on my iPhone for my connected toothbrush. I'm wagging my finger. Susie, what's wrong with your toothbrushing that you're not getting? No, it, it wanted me to change the toothbrush tip <laughs> thing. It's, it sends me a notification every day. So anyway, Why isn't there a button on the toothbrush that uses Wi-Fi? To, oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. It's, it's a Bluetooth <laughs> toothbrush. But anyway, oh, um, so... So, yeah, so this notification came through. It doesn't go to my Apple Watch, but it came through to my Android Wear watch. So I tap on that. I can swipe it. Like, you're going to dismiss it, but I swipe it the other way. And there was a thing like, block this. And I was like, yes, please block that. So as these notifications come in, you can say, no, I don't want to ever hear from that app on my watch. So because you get a lot of dumb notifications on your phone that aren't really important enough to send right through from your wrist. And now it's great because you can just take care of those as they come in instead mm. of having to like dig out your phone, find that you know app and the huge list of every app on your phone and flip the switch. So that's big. And then there's just like, I mean, little things. So I plugged it into the charger and it showed me how long it would take until it was fully charged. It's like, okay, you're at 41% now. If you leave it plugged in for another 28 minutes, you should be at 100. And oh I was like, my gosh. that's genius. That's great. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, there's some trade-offs. So you can't install Android Wear apps because those are sold on the Google Play Store and there's no Google Play Store for apps on the iOS side, there just isn't. Um, so it's, so it's it's kind of stripped down. If if you want a ton of apps, you should go to Apple Watch or Pebble Time. Um, but the the built-in apps I like better than the Pebble Time, which doesn't really come with built-in apps. Uh, the interface is cleaner than the Apple Watch's you know app cloud thing. Um, so I hope Apple you know pays attention and steals a bunch of these features for future Apple Watch updates. I'm not going to be switching full time, but I think it's really cool, and I'll, oh, I'll have great. a hands on on up soon. Well, this will be nice. I mean, uh, this is where yeah, I just I love a lot of the sound of those things, and this is where so we'll see Watch OS two pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh yeah, so hey, we didn't talk about that with the announcement. Do you think that we'll get Watch OS two on September 9th or uh, or September sixteenth uh, rather, like a week after? Or do you think that's later? Oh, I don't know. I we mean, I would assume it would that. come with with um, with iOS nine. Yeah, me too. The developer they haven't done a public beta of WatchOS two, but the developer beta of iOS nine kind of has WatchOS two. I think come with it. You might have to update them separately. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering. That's very interesting. I'm wondering if that's going to be further along or something because we've heard so little like public or private buzz about it yeah there haven't uh, been a lot of leaks about yeah it could i mean it could be on its own cycle but i think it's um no i love this uh i love ecosystems in which different aspects you want the the best things uh to win and then um no, not win i'm sorry this is the thing you're not going to win some markets there's going to be a winner and others you're going to have a lot of different participants and i would love to see 
um, like you say, like these great features. And some of them will get adopted by different platforms and and uh, make us all happier. Well, Compa- competition is so, good for price too, of course. Yes, there's a lot more Android Wear watches. Different companies are making them, and they, you know, you can get a round one. They're all pretty big, but they have some some cool round ones and you know interchangeable straps and things. So it's it's a little more choice. Um, but it's I think it's going to be good for the smartwatch market as a whole. Um, when when the Apple Watch was announced, we I guess right around the second Apple Watch announcement. Um, we were at South by Southwest and had a good interview with the president of Pebble and asked him, like, okay, Apple Watch isn't out yet, but it's coming next month. Like, and, you know, Pebble time's coming around the same time. Are you worried? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, like, this is going to be the rising tide that lifts uh-huh. all the boats. Like, the smartwatch yeah. market is is about to get really interesting and people are going to pay attention because, I mean, people pay way more attention to categories that Apple plays in, but which I'm sure is annoying. But, um, but yeah, so he, he was like, this is great. Like, our sales are going to go up. Everyone who makes smartwatches is going to benefit from this. Oh, so, that's great. so it now sounds, if yeah, yeah now we, you know we got Android Wear just opened up to to a lot more people. It's, it works with iPhone five and later running iOS eight dot two, I think. So, so yeah, if you know if you have a friend who's already sick of their Android Wear watch and will loan it to you for a few days, give it a spin. It's kind of fun. Or just this go read a- read my hands on. Read, read Susan's hands on. This is, no, this is good news. I like I like this kind of thing. So this gives me hope that maybe there will be an Amazon app for the Apple TV. <laughs> That's what I take away from this. <laughs> uh, well, we've been we've been talking on this is a bit. It's a quiet week, so we've been talking on a lot of stuff, and uh, we'll look forward. Uh, so next week will be interesting. So we'll be taping the day before the September. Ninth, uh, you know, the, the podcast will go out the, uh, after the announcement, but we won't be talking about it because that's how the timing is. Unless we want to delay next week, but I think we won't have time with all the coverage. So we recommend listen to our podcast. We'll talk about what's been learned up until the point of, and then uh, go to MacWorld.com on the day of for live coverage, as well as all of our detailed analysis of what the heck's going on on September 9th. So Susie, you'll be there. I'll be there. I'll well, be you'll there. Be th- you'll be there. You'll literally be there. I'll be remotely there. Yes. I'll be at the Bill Graham. Maybe bring your lighter. Bring your digital lighter so you can <laughs> wear my fish more. T-shirt. <laughs> That'll be good. I think it'll be good today. Yeah. Uh, well, Susie, nice to talk to you again this week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Glenn. And this has been episode 472 of the Macworld Podcast for September 2nd, 2015. We were brought to you this week by our sponsors, Harry's and Red Hat. And thank you to them. Dear listener, thank you, and find us at Macworld.com, where you can leave comments on this podcast, or you can always send email to podcast at Macworld.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week.